says the white South African. I'm from Rhodesia. We say Zimbabwe now, don't we? Do we? <laughs> All right, guys, it's Pete with the breakdown of everything we have coming up. Let's talk seminars. These have been selling out pretty regularly, so do not delay. We have August 13th through the 15th is the next one up with a few spots left. And then after that, October 15th through the 17th, and then closing out 2021 with December 10th through the 12th. For lifting camps coming up, we'll be in Wichita Falls for another self-sufficient lifter camp on September 11th, covering the squat, the press, the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. Then we have a pulling camp in Moodus, Connecticut, covering the deadlift and power clean on July 31st at Anino Strength. A couple squat and deadlift camps still on the list July 17th in Oklahoma City at Starting Strength Oklahoma City with the hip shifter himself, Baby Huey, Chase Lindley. And then another squat and deadlift camp on August 29th in Austin at Starting Strength Austin. And then finally, our first ever Olympic lifting camp in Denver on September 18th, where you'll be coached by Rip and Nick on the snatch as well as the clean and jerk. For meets coming up, we do all of all the wonderment that is testify strength and conditioning along with the classic Olympic lifting meet in Wichita Falls on July 24th, where we've added the clean and press. And then, of course, the Charm City Strong Woman Contest in Baltimore, hosted by 5x3, and that is a charity event to raise money for the Almond House, which is a home away from home for folks undergoing cancer treatment. Starting Strength Gyms continue to rock on. We have Boise ready to open. We got Memphis ready to open. We got Orlando on the list, but we do need some talent. So if you're thinking about becoming a professional coach, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the coaching tab to find out what that process is all about. For any more details on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Friday, and uh, since it's Friday, we're going to talk. We're going to talk today about a topic on everybody's mind for probably the wrong reasons, and that's power, the display of strength quickly. We're going to talk about that for a while, but first... Comments, comments from, from the, haters. the haters. You know, I, if everybody didn't like this so much, if this wasn't such a popular part of the show, these stupid motherfuckers would... I, I think we, we ought to just turn off all the comments. On all the videos, just turn them off because there's so seldom anything that makes the slightest bit of sense. But where's the fun in that? Well, that's the, why we don't. Yeah. That's why we don't. The reason we don't turn the comments off is because you enjoy comments, comments. From, from the haters. The haters. You so guys, much. You guys used to have them off. Well, I, th- I personally think they ought to be turned off because of because they serve no purpose. Here, let me... All right, here, for example. Shut up, old man. 
don't see the problem. <laughs> you think that's that's you think it's useful? <laughs> Do you? Ha ha. Man Mark loves food. <laughs> this is uh, from the uh, Getting Vertical with Stan Efforting, Starting Strength Radio Program. See, that guy probably didn't even mean that in a bad way. <laughs> He's just excited about <laughs> just the, food, the food conversation. Yeah. Well, Stan and I talked about food, I guess. but You did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh you talked about sheep and bacon and shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, here's a more recent one. This is from the uh, clip that Bree posted. Does abstaining help with testosterone? Well, this is quite fresh. <laughs> Here. <laughs> Do starting strength... And abstinence will surely follow, <laughs> as you'll look like a beluga whale following Rip's program, LOL. <laughs> LOL at the end, LOL. for good measure, that's the best. Man. <laughs> beluga whale. Following Rip's program. So here's a typical comment. Mark Er the Legend. That's M A R K space U R, the letters U, letter R, the legend, comma. But can you please enlighten me on, quote, all the research that says masks are bullshit? LOL. <laughs> LOL, still love you, dude, but let's maybe stick to our expertise. Ah, there you go. See? Standard, Stay in man. your lane. Stay in your lane, man. Stay yep. in your lane. Don't talk about anything except uh, what? Powerlifting. Powerlifting. That's, 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 all, that's all I know yeah, anything about lane. is powerlifting. Yep. Stick to powerlifting. Stick to powerlifting. Beluga whale. Dude. <laughs> Beluga whale. LOL. 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 <laughs> uh, oh, here's this is good. Tom Bryant, our friend from England, who's been a giant pain in the ass for more years than I can count, says Rip is obviously feeling the effects of COVID on his business. Now we have to pay to watch this stuff. <laughs> well, you don't. No, you don't. You have <laughs> you to. Don't have to, <laughs> have do. to. You don't have to do anything, Tom, except make more sense when you type, which you've demonstrated for millennia that you're incapable of doing. Uh... <laughs> Here's some dumbass comment about RPE. And, you know, all, right. Uh, all right, here's one I don't understand. This is from the Learning to Deadlift, the Starting Strength Method video. Nah, can't be bothered with this shit. We'll just keep doing <laughs> stiff legs. Well, he's right. It is a lot to be bothered with. (laughs) Bending your knees is a an insurmountable task for oh, like most people, right? (laughs) 
That's pretty good. Oh, and finally, if your stomach ain't flat, I'm here, but I really ain't listening. There we go. There we go. That's good. Fucking bodybuilders. Yeah. Fucking bodybuilders. And that's uh, coming from, from the heaters. Are you sure we have to keep doing this yep. shit? Sorry. These fucking people are annoying. He's holding my iced tea for me. <laughs> he always make too much tea in the morning. Make two cups more than I, I... I intend to drink it, but I never get around to doing it. So what I've done... To avoid wasting the teas, I've been making iced tea out of the rest of it, just bringing it in in my handy dandy Yeti insulated Yeti copy, yeah, Yeti knockoff deal. How much does one of these cost if it's a Yeti? Like thirty five dollars. Thirty five forty. Mine bucks. is a knockoff from Bucky's. It was twelve ninety nine. This was uh, like eight ninety nine. Yeah. If you cut them in half, they're all made exactly the same. Yeah, I bet. They're all made in exactly the same factory in China. Yeah. I'm quite sure. Yep. Just different logos on them. Put the Yeti logo on them, and suddenly the value appreciates. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. We've got the Stardust Strength Network, so we know, how that's, your, we know how that works. Whatever makes your cock hard, that's what you have to do, you know. <laughs> that's absolutely true. So... All right, today, boys and girls, we're going to do one of our famous long monologues. We're going to talk about power and what power is. Okay? Now, power, in the sense that we use the term, is the display of strength rapidly. The rapid, explosive display of strength. How explosive is an athlete? That's power, all right? We're not talking about the power that causes your air conditioner to run uninterrupted for six months at a time. That's that's not power. That is uh, amount of work done over time. That's not what we're talking about. Now, when I say amount of work done over time, that's actually the the power equation. But we're using the term in the sense of the explosive nature of uh, muscle contraction. All right. Uh, like, I don't care how many kipping pull-ups you can do. That's not a display of power. That's a display of silliness. All right. What I'm concerned about in terms of power is the quality that is measured by the standing vertical jump okay so let's talk about uh power in the context of the of the equation here so this is the power equation now look at this carefully p which stands for power i thought that was clever so We're just going to say P is power equals 
F, which is force production, times D, which is the distance over which that force is produced. And that quantity, F times D, is divided by T, the amount of time it takes to execute that force times distance. Force times distance is the work equation. So that amount of work against gravity over the amount of time it takes to execute that work is power. Now, if you've got a great big giant power production capacity, then you are an explosive athlete. And this is who we shop around for when we decide who we're going to pay $3 million to play football for us in the NFL. In between bouts of kneeling on the ground, protesting, lamenting the fact that we're making all this money and how unfair that is, we're supposed to be on the the football field demonstrating our explosive capacity, and that means coming off the line when the ball is snapped and hitting the guy that's lined up against you or some other football-like display of power. The faster that you can come off of the line, weighing 285, and the harder you can hit the guy on the other side of the line, the more useful you are in the execution of the play, right? So your ability to display power is terribly interesting to those of us that, uh, those of you who buy tickets to watch this sort of nonsense. Uh, and it's, it's especially interesting to those of you who own teams that actually pay these athletes these exorbitant amounts of money to fuck around on Sunday afternoon. And uh, as you can tell, I'm not a sports fan. You guys sports fans? I don't know shit about sports. Have you ever watched an entire NFL game from start to finish? I watched Super Bowl and yeah, Super Bowl. Really? A few times. Yeah. I don't remember once having watched an entire football game from start to finish because I just don't care who wins. You ever been at a sports bar on Sunday afternoon and watched the bizarre behavior going on in the Yeah. At the tables. That's that's just it's like going to a museum. I always find it funny how seriously it's people just, take they're fans of a of a state they've never been to or never never from, and they're fans of that team, and they will kill for that team. So weird. It's, it's odd. Just, I have. It's, I've, it's just. It's it's indescribably. I've had employees. It, well, it taps into your your human shit, right? I've had employees on the floor of the warehouse get in a fist fight over <laughs> baseball players. Really? It's yeah. weird. Multi- on multiple occasions. Why, why do people care about that so deeply? Do you understand? Because I don't understand it. I really don't. It's I mean, your, 
it's this your is, it's your tribe. What else? You, what else you got? You either got your gang or your sports team or your I understand li- or your liberal or your Democrat. I understand if your it's liberal your tri- or your if it's your tribe, if it's your friend or somebody you know or somewhere you've been to. <laughs> I don't like even a, understand that. Like I, like I, like, I really like people do. will be huge Texas Tech fans and they've never been on campus. Never been to Lubbock. <laughs> they've never been to Lubbock. <laughs> but been to Lubbock. but they're they just huge fans. Well, you got to be a fan of something. So I'll just uh, <laughs> Texas Tech. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Or but it's, I, you know, or I don't, it's In and Out Burger versus What a Burger. This is this shit that humans do. Can't we like both of them? No, you <laughs> cannot. Apparently. Well, I can understand liking In and Out as opposed to What a Burger because What a Burger smells funny, and In and Out is just so damn good. But that's something I eat. I eat that. It's important to me. It's food, right? And we know you love what food. What the Dallas Cowboys did yesterday? Who gives a fuck what the Dallas Cowboys did yesterday? A lot of grown men do. Yeah, I know. And it's, and it's a lot just of a, grown women also. It's a puzzle. It's a real puzzle. So, uh, oh, God, I remember being in, in, the, in sports bars on Sunday afternoon. We'd get through hunting, and we'd... We'd go to a sports bar and eat lunch and shit, and uh, we're all in there sitting around in our funny clothes and shit. <laughs> these guys all around us at these tables have got a. They're all fascinated with the, what's going on on the screen, and uh, somebody makes a touchdown or hits a ball basket. or basket or whatever <laughs> they do in sports, <clears throat> and they go, "Yeah." And they get all excited and shit. And so what I would do, what I would do is when they started yelling, I'd just start yelling, too. Because it was kind of fun, you know. Well, there you go. They'd start yelling, I'd just go, yeah, god damn it. You bet you go. Get him. Yeah, point, score. He scores, you know. Well, you just figured it out. You know what? None of them would look around and, and see that I'm just yelling and just up in the sky without looking at the. TV screen. It's just normal behavior. Yep. That's they're, what's ex- the weird they're excited. Part. You're excited. I, partic- I participate in their normal behavior for no apparent reason, and they think it's just fine. Yeah, that's right. It's so, like when your dog starts barking at something outside and you start yelling at the dog, the dog thinks you're just joining in on the fun. <laughs> you know, that's a very good point. Yeah. He's like, this is great. Man. Great. We're, we're, we're both pissed. <laughs> we're both pissed. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking squirrel. Dad hates him too. <laughs> oh, shit. So anyway. So back to the issue at hand. If I own the Dallas Cowboys, I'm looking to hire people that are explosive. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, let's look at the standing vertical jump because this is the standard test by which we measure the ability to explode. And when I say ability, I'm talking about uh, something that is essentially genetically controlled. It is something you are born with. It is what we call a talent. It is not something you acquire. You either are explosive or you are not explosive. And let me explain the situation to you. The standing vertical jump is the test that is used in the NFL combine. And uh, the NFL combine is where you go if you're trying to walk on to an NFL team having uh, not been selected by their draft. The combine is a series of, of tests, and most of the time it consists of the standing vertical jump test, the 
bench press, which they'll load the bench to 225, and they want to see how many reps you can do at 225. And this is a, uh, obviously a strength test. And then they will use the, the cone shuttle drill as a measure of agility. And then there may be a something else, standing broad jump or a 40. Usually it's the 40-meter sprint time. And, uh, and this will give them a, a good idea of how quickly you can handle yourself on the field. The standing vertical jump test is a measure, a very good, very accurate measure of your genetic capacity for explosion. Now, let's, let's look at this in detail. When you perform the standing vertical jump test, what you're doing is uh, leaving the ground. You're going to stand with your hand raised as high as you can on flat feet. You're going to reach to the maximum ability of your standing flat-footed reach, and that distance off the ground will be measured, usually by a device called a Vertec. And some of you may have seen this thing. I've got one in the gym. It is a, uh, it's essentially a mast with uh, 24 inches of rotating horizontal veins that ex- that extend from the side of the mast in half inch increments and so we get we had two feet of these of these veins sticking out from the side and they rotate so when you reach up to measure your standing reach height on flat foot the operator of the test places the lowest vein in contact with the very tip of your upraised upraised hands. And then you are going to to squat down and jump off the ground. And what most people do when they squat down and jump off of the ground is they'll without even any instruction, you will since you know how to jump if you don't know how to jump, you're not in the NFL combine. So you you reach down with your hands, flexing your knees and your hips and your ankles, and then you rapidly extend knees, hips, and ankles, and at the same time you reach up. And your goal in this is to slap the veins at the top of the jump and you're an athlete so you know how to time that so that you're reaching up you typically you look up at the at the veins and you reach as high as you can and the number of veins that you slap out of the way accurately measures the amount of distance that you jumped off the ground the difference between your upraised hand standing flat-footed and your upraised hand at the top of the jump and what the, the way this test is generally administered is that you will get as many tries as you as you want to until you make three misses in other words where you fail to to touch another vein and increase the jump by another half inch 
and that is regarded as the standing vertical jump measurement okay now what we're doing when we perform the standing vertical jump is a is a very simple straightforward process of accelerating your body's mass off the ground all right now remember the force part of the power equation look at it again p equals f times d over t now force is the quantity which causes acceleration okay it's the quantity that causes acceleration if an object is not moving for example up off of the ground and then an object becomes moving for example up off of the ground then force has been applied to that object right meteor flying through outer space 50,000 miles an hour what do you immediately know about the meteor well at some point force was applied to the damn thing right and if you observe that meteor either speed up or slow down or change course then you also know that force has been applied to the meteor because something altered its motion okay so force is the quantity that alters motion and for convenience we just say it's the quantity which causes acceleration right so if you are standing flat on the ground and you reach down perform a, a counter movement jump as it is called where because and you can try this if you don't believe me you cannot jump off the ground without first bending your hips and knees you can't do it and the reason you can't do it is because of the nature of muscle contraction all right when you reach down and bend your hips knees and ankles you are performing an eccentric stretch of the muscles that lengthens these muscles as a precursor to them getting shorter all right and muscles generate force by getting shorter a muscle contraction results in a shortening of the muscle the muscle generates tension along its length as it gets shorter actually there are three types of muscle actions there's the concentric during which the muscle gets shorter as it produces tension there's the eccentric during which the muscle gets longer as it produces tension and then there's the isometric during which the muscle stays the same length maintains the same length as it produces the force of tension all three of those movements those, those muscle actions are involved in a jump okay when you perform the counter movement jump 
and you bend your knees and hips to go down to prime, quote unquote, the jump itself, then you are lengthening these muscles eccentrically. The muscles that extend the hips, the muscles that extend the knees, and the muscles that control the ankle dorsiflexion are lengthening during this downward phase of the movement. And then when you jump up in the air, all of those muscles that got longer are now getting shorter very, very, very quickly. Right? So that is the concentric and eccentric function being displayed in the jump. Where is the isometric come in? Well, that's the stuff that stabilizes your spine during which this movement takes place. It, eccentric and concentric are involved in the change in a joint's angle, and isometric is involved in the maintenance of a joint's angle, the constant holding of the joint's angle, like what happens along your back. All three of these are very important in human movement. In the standing vertical jump, what we're interested in is how much force can follow the eccentric lengthening of the muscles as they then come into concentric contraction and shorten. Because when you lower yourself into the into the what would we would call the the jumping position which is the the point at which most people just automatically stop in terms of knee and hip flexion on the way down and start to come back up we want to know how much force you can generate from the time that the knees and hips and ankles straighten all the way back out and the time and the and the essentially the distance that that concentric contraction carries your body's mass up off of the ground now think about this if you squat down a little bit and jump off the ground how long did that take second one second, 1.2 seconds, something like that. Of that period of time, how much was spent in the concentric contraction? The straightening back out part. Maybe a fourth of that. So maybe three-tenths of a second is how much time you spent jumping off of the ground. The other 75% of that was preparing to jump off of the ground. Now, what actually takes place during that three-tenths of a second? What happens is you voluntarily recruit the motor units in your muscles into contraction. And the motor units are the smallest unit that we can, that we can identify as uh, part of the contractile machinery of your muscles. When you uh, 
put a motor unit into contraction, you are sending a nerve impulse, an action potential, an electric action potential down the axon of the nerve into the contractile machinery of the muscles and all of the the contractile units that are hooked up to that nerve go into contraction. And when they go into contraction, the muscle gets shorter. All right. When that going into a huge amount of muscle physiology, which is of interest to absolutely no one, uh, what we need to observe is that all of the force that you generated that carried your body up off of the ground has been generated in a third of a second. And there's not much difference between the amount of time an unathletic and an athletic person spends during that concentric phase. It's always far less than a half second. Even a slow person. Because you can't jump slow. That may not have occurred to you, but you can't jump slowly. So when you... When you jump off of the ground and leave the ground, and we measure that distance, what we are actually measuring is the amount of force that you were able to generate as your muscles performed a concentric contraction in a third of a second. This is why the standing vertical jump is such a valuable it's such a valuable test because there's not really a way to game that test. You can practice jumping all you want to, but your ability to jump up in the air and slap the veins on the Vertec device, it takes about five tries to figure out how that works. You don't spend weeks learning how to do standing vertical jump. This is one of the advantages of the test. There's not a technical component to it. You just jump up in the air and slap the veins above your head. Now, what does this information tell us? Well, it tells us how much of your muscle mass you can call into contraction in a third of a second, which tells us exactly what we need to know if we are trying to determine how explosive you are. All right? The average standing vertical jump for males, and these are college-age males in which, in which these, this data has been compiled, is 22 inches. The average standing vertical jump for college-age females is 14 inches. Yes, as it turns out, boys and girls are different. All right, this becomes a shock to you in California. But everyone else knows this. And all of the data shows exactly the same thing, including the, the record data, the highest recorded standing vertical jump. And I'm talking about the standing vertical jump. Both feet flat on the, on the floor, reach down, jump up. The highest one recorded has been 46 it was done at an NFL combine six or seven years ago. The highest recorded standing vertical jump for a female is 31 inches. 
So the ratios are the same basic ratios as the averages. There are significant differences in the body's ability to recruit muscle contractile machinery into contraction in a short period of time. That's what we're dealing with here. And that quality is called neuromuscular efficiency. Neuromuscular efficiency is how much of your muscle mass you can call into contraction right now. Right now. Explosive. Okay? That's what we're interested in. And the distance you jumped off of the ground having spent one-third of a second calling the muscle mass into contraction, is a very reliable indicator of how neuromuscularly efficient you are. A man with a 36-inch vertical jump is a freak. There aren't many of these people. And that's who plays in, in the NFL. The NBA may not necessarily require this because it substitutes stature, substitutes being seven feet tall for the ability to jump because the goal is, you know, the same height. And these big lumbering guys that walk up and down the court in in the NBA are not necessarily required of – they don't necessarily require the same explosive ability that people on the football field do. But athletics, almost every sport has an explosive component. If you look at the NFL uh, vertical jump numbers, you, you're going to be pretty surprised. They're not, they're not anywhere near what the NFL numbers are. No. No, because yeah. it's not necessary. It require, yeah, it requires a body type. Yeah, it requires you explosion. to be seven feet tall right. instead of having a 36-inch vertical jump. If you find a guy that's 7 feet tall with a 36-inch vertical jump, well, he'll kill himself on the goal. <laughs> well, those you are the know? guys you see. Like, I mean, the, I'm, I'm sure LeBron James and Michael Jordan had there ridiculously are, high vertical jumps. There are the outstanding guys whose names you know the ones, exactly. probably all have freak vertical jumps, yep. right? But... Anything over a 32-inch vertical jump is considered, you know, top 5% of the human race, right? Now, think about the difference between a guy with an average 22-inch vertical jump and the freak in the combine that did a 46. Four feet up in the air. That is... From a dead... From a standing (laughs) position, his hand reached up four feet higher than it did while he was standing flat-footed on the ground. But think of him compared to a guy who is in the band, right, (laughs) that had a 12-inch vertical jump. You're dealing essentially with two different species here, right? If you've got that much more efficient an ability to recruit muscle mass into contraction than the other guy you, you that we're dealing with a quality here that people just don't understand the magnitude of this difference and they don't understand that the magnitude of that difference is explainable 
by one thing and one thing only, and that is genetics. The guy with a 46-inch vertical had genetic capacity for a 46-inch vertical when he was shit out of the womb. All right? He's got... He, he's a different human being. He's a completely different physical specimen than the kid that's going to be in the band. Okay? And all of the rate of force production training, quote-unquote, that is so fashionable now to do is not going to turn a kid with a 12-inch vertical jump into even a 16-inch vertical jump. Vertical jump is improvable by maybe 15 20% in the standard strength program. Now, there are outstanding examples of strength programs that have improved standing vertical jump 25%. But nobody goes from an 18-inch vertical to a 36-inch vertical. It does not occur anywhere except on the Internet. That's the only place that happens. Because the variables that control the standing vertical jump are congenital. They're genetic, rather. They are genetic. Okay? The variables are the quality of the nerve tissue. I mean, people have different, you know, people's motor neurons are different sizes. The conductive ability of that, of those axon cells is different. The contractile machinery itself, the sarcomere material. Some people have really, really reactive uh, crossbridge machinery and other people do not and all these things are this is what you're born with it's like red hair you're either born with it or you're not right and you can get that purple dye at the you know beauty shop and uh is that what they call it now beauty shop or the hairdresser the hair salon salon <laughs> salon Bree says salon salon because it's the way the frenchman are you French? Uh, we don't know. I think we may have found We're still out. asking about yeah. that. But you can make your hair red, but it's not red hair. <laughs> you can color <laughs> it red, but it's not red hair. By the same token, you can jump around in the floor and do rate of force production bullshit, waste of time exercises all day long, but it's not going to make you more explosive because you can't change your genetics. All right? Now, how do we increase power? Can that happen? Well, of course it can happen. Look at the equation again. Power equals force times distance over time. Quantity of force times distance work over time. All right? Now, when I'm talking about the fact that you can't manipulate is the T part. In terms of standing vertical jump, it's the amount of time you spend in the concentric contraction, straightening your knees and hips and ankles out and leaving the ground. And then the distance that you travel after you have left the ground is a function of how you accelerated your body's mass to what velocity 
you've accelerated your body's mass as you leave the ground because the force transfer between your body and the ground stops when your feet lose contact with the floor, right? We're not Superman. We can't fly, right? The distance that you jumped in the air is a function of how quickly you accelerated your body's mass to produce velocity as you left the ground. And then the velocity that your body is moving up influences the amount of momentum your body's mass displays as it leaves the ground. And the momentum, which is mass times velocity, is what we're watching as you leave the ground. And the distance upward that you travel, the distance between your upraised hand standing and your upraised hand at the top of the jump, is a direct function of the velocity that your body possessed as it left the ground. The faster it is moving, the higher it will travel, because that's what momentum is. We're measuring the momentum. The momentum is produced by the velocity, and the velocity is produced by the acceleration. And that's the simple mechanics of the whole deal. So, look at the equation again. F times D over time. D, the distance part of this equation, is how high in the ground, in the air you went. The T is the amount of time you spent in the contraction. And F is the amount of force that you applied to the floor during the contraction. Okay? Now, the standing vertical jump is interesting in that it's not a squat. There's no external load that you are moving. The only load you're moving is your own body weight. So the, the functional variable here is how much of your muscle mass could you call into contraction in that three-tenths of a second that you spent straightening out your knees and hips. And the more force you produced during the three-tenths of a second, and if you're real good, you did that in two-tenths of a second, carries you up higher into the air than someone who produced less force. Now, there's two different ways to produce that force, right? Way number one is to call a whole bunch of motor units into contraction in a very short period of time, all right? And that's what we're looking for. All right, we're the freaks. The 46-inch guy, he recruited a huge amount, maybe 75% of his motor units into contraction in two-tenths of a second. That's something that you can't do. I can't do it. Nobody you know can do that. But one guy did it, all right? And those are the guys that end up getting in the NFL and being paid the big, big money, right? Now, the other way is for 
the motor units that you do call into contraction, that you can call into contraction to produce more force. And that happens when you get stronger. If you get stronger, then your power goes up. Now look at it like this. Let's look at the equation again. P is what we're interested in. All right? P over here is power. That's how hard you can hit somebody, right, coming up off the line. Let's say you're a guy of average genetic capacity, and you've got a 22-inch vertical jump, all right? What happens if I take your squat from 135 to 495, which is something I can do in a couple of years? I can make you that strong. What happens to P? In other words, of these three variables that generate the value P, which of those three variables is the most trainable? F is the most trainable. All right? If I make your deadlift go from 185 to 465, what have I done to F? Well, I've increased F. And look at the algebra. If F goes up and D and T stay exactly the same, then P went up, right? Do you see the problem here with this algebra? This is very straightforward, right? If I affect the numerator, the value on top, F, times D. And D is just a function of the test. It's not something we're terribly concerned with in terms of its effect on P. All right? If I make F go up, then P goes up a whole bunch. If I double F, if I triple F, which I can do in a lot of cases, I can triple F, then I make P go way, way up. Here's the problem. You've got a bunch of people running around the country in college weight rooms who are pretending as though they can make T smaller. Now, T smaller is, is what happens when you get quicker, right? That's the, that's the thinking. If I can reduce T, then P will go up because that's also the algebra. The problem, of course, is that you can't do that. If you could do that, then the standing vertical jump would be very, very, very trainable. And it is not. It is not. There are no examples of strength programs that make the standing vertical jump go up 30%. There are no examples of that in existence. Now, if you've got a fat guy that weighs 385 and you get his body weight down to two and a quarter, that is an entirely different matter, isn't it? That's like taking 150 pounds out of his, out of his pockets, right? But we're talking about normal body composition here. And if we haven't got a body composition problem, you can't make the standing vertical jump go up 
And it is a waste of time to try to do so because you can make F go up a whole bunch. And here is the problem with rate of force development training. It wastes time that should otherwise be spent on getting stronger. Because of these three variables in the power equation, F, force production, strength, is the single most effectively trainable one of those variables. And it is, it's not complicated. It is very straightforward. It's five pounds on your squat at workout. It's five pounds on your deadlift at workout. It's two pounds on your press at workout for a long time till that quits working. Then we'll get complicated. But for a kid with enough genetic talent to be in a college football program, you can get a kid like that to a 465 for three sets of five squat without hardly any trouble at all. And in the, in the process, in the meantime, you've put 30 pounds of muscle on the kid. But no, no, you'd rather jump around in the floor with a 10-pound chrome dumbbell and switch hands in midair and play little dance games and shit and act like you're actually affecting the man's athletic ability. The man's athletic ability is why you hired him for your scholarship program. Your recruiter found the kid. Why don't you just do your fucking job and try to make him stronger? You know why you don't do that? Because you don't know how. You don't know how to coach the lifts that produce the most bang for the buck. And those lifts are the squat, the press, the bench press, and the deadlift. And you don't know how to coach them. You don't know how to teach the kid to keep his low back flat during these movement patterns. You don't know the movements themselves. You don't know the, the role of knee position and foot position and stance and back position and grip. You don't know all these little things that you ought to know if you're calling yourself a strength coach. But you just don't know. So you'd rather dance around on the floor and act like something fancy is taking place when, in fact, it's not. And the way you know it's not is because your own standing vertical jump data tell you that. You didn't make it go up because it's not trainable to the extent that that power is trainable through an increase in strength. Look at this again. Look at the equation one more time. P equals F times D over time. If I take a kid with a 22-inch vertical and I double his squat and I don't do anything at all to T, what happened to his power? If he can hit you twice as hard, even though he's slow, because he's twice as strong, do you not see the value in that? This is... This is a simple arithmetic problem. You know, this isn't calculus. This is not even college algebra. Okay? But it, I know it's, it's not fashionable. It's fashionable to get on the Internet and show everybody how you're screaming and yelling and making everybody more explosive and trying to elicit uh, fear from your athletes and all this other bullshit. <laughs> I actually saw 
a shameful video of some fucking strength coach, quote unquote, on the West Coast that said that his number one job was to make the athletes afraid of him. I'm sure that worked for him very well. I'm sure it did. 330 sure pound lineman is scared of this little. Is scared of a little twerpy queer. ass fucking five foot eight, bald headed with a with a faux hawk or just you know Van Dyke you know. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's real effective. So I mean, I, if you don't know your job. Just bullshit your way through it. And that's what goes on in strength and conditioning programs all over the country. These guys are just bullshitting their way through their jobs. What they're doing is leaving a huge, huge, undeveloped amount of potential in the weight room. If you are not capable of getting a college football player to a 500-pound deadlift, you, sir, do not know your job. You do not know your profession, and you need to go sell real estate or something exciting like insurance or, you know, something like that. But get out of the way because you don't know what the hell you're doing. You know, everybody wants to act like 500 pounds is a, is a freak deadlift. Well, hell, that's a powerlifting deadlift. No, it's not. If a... If a person has the genetic potential to be a college football player, then a 500-pound deadlift is nine months away, if that. I just don't understand why this – I mean, anyway. Now, why do we power clean? Well, we power clean for a couple of very, very good reasons, all right? Now, I mentioned that the four exercises that produce an increase in strength, uh, the, the most efficient four exercises that we use to increase, increase strength is the squat, the press, the bench press, and the deadlift. But to power clean and to a lesser extent power snatch are important parts of a program that should be used for athletes in the strength conditioning program. All right. So if we can't make you more explosive, why are we doing power cleans? Well, we used to think that the power clean made you more explosive. Well, this is one of these things that we started off with as an assumption coming from a background in conventional exercise physiology because the old saw in exercise physiology is that three reps is for power five reps is for strength and ten or more reps is for hypertrophy this is just you know, something that graduate students mouth because their professor told them this. Professor who actually doesn't do anything but play badminton told them this. And it's just it's the thing that gets repeated year after year, decade after decade, until it becomes something no one even thinks about anymore. Okay. 
Well, you don't get to not think. All right, it's incumbent upon you to think. And if you think that if you're doing something for a triple that you're developing power, well, you're not thinking very carefully. Why do we do triples in power cleans? Because form tends to break down as fatigue accumulates, and we don't want to do a power clean wrong. One of the advantages of doing a power clean is that power cleans have got to be executed correctly. And in the execution of a correct power clean, the skill that you bring to the barbell for correct bar path mechanics is improved. All right? You learn to pull more efficiently. If you've got to clean the thing, you learn to pull. You can just walk up to a deadlift and just you know, drag the thing up your feet, drag the thing up your legs in any old way, and eventually your back angle and hip angle and knee angle are going to sort itself out to the point where you pull the thing off the ground. When you do a power clean, you need to be more cognizant of your technique. And anytime you're more cognizant of your technique, that cognizance carries over into the deadlift as well. And when, when you learn to power clean, you're learning to do the movements correctly, right? So that's one important thing that the power clean brings to the program. The other important thing that the power clean brings to the program is essentially uh, best thought of as practice, okay? As your deadlift and squat and bench press and press go up and you get stronger, your ability to clean more weight improves too so as you get stronger it is important for you to be able to to display that increased strength as power as your strength goes up in other words we're keeping your display of power concurrent with your increasing strength now what is a power clean? Let's think about this pedantically like we did the standing vertical jump. The power clean is a movement by which the barbell is accelerated off of the floor up to the top of the pull, and then the barbell continues upward under the momentum, again, that you have imparted to the barbell during the pull, during which time you go from pulling on the bar to getting under the bar and catching it. You've got to change positions. You've got to change from the pull, which generated the acceleration, which generated the velocity, which generated the momentum, of the barbell to continue on upward after you get to the top of the pull. And then you have to shift position into a catch position, which, which means that the hands and elbows and shoulders go from a position above the bar to a position below the bar. In other words, you've got to get under the bar. Now, the time you have to get under the bar is provided to you by the continued, continued upward motion of the bar 
and the load on the bar that you produced with the velocity you accelerated into and the momentum the system has. In other words, how hard did you pull on the bar? How much force did you apply to generate the acceleration that generated the velocity that allowed the bar to continue on upward as you got underneath it? And as you get underneath the bar, the more time you have to get under the bar means that you can clean heavier and heavier weights. So as it turns out, force production is very, very important. The amount of float that the bar gets, the amount of time you have between pull and catch, is a direct function of your ability to accelerate the, the mass on the bar. And that is a direct function of your ability to produce force and to produce it quickly. Because a power clean is, cannot be performed slowly. All right? Now, a more explosive athlete, a big vertical jump, guy with a 36 standing vertical jump, can produce more force in a shorter period of time than can a guy with a 22. But in both cases, the clean must be performed explosively or it won't rack. And what we see is that a guy with a 36 can clean more weight than a guy with a 32 because the guy with a 36 is able to call more contraction into the movement pattern in a short period of time, the short period of time provided by the clean, than a guy with a 22. So, for example, if both of these athletes are squatting 405, then the guy with the 36 is going to clean more weight than the guy with the 22 because he's more capable of calling more muscle mass into contraction and therefore generating more acceleration on the barbell in a shorter period of time than the guy with a 22. All right. But in both cases, if strength goes up, then the clean goes up too. Because the ability to generate force went up. And in order for this to maintain its ability to be displayed, it has to be practiced. You have to practice doing the clean. So is the process of you going from the 135-pound squat to the two-and-a-quarter squat to the 315 squat to the 405 squat should be accompanied by power cleaning on a regular basis so that your ability to turn that strength, that force production capacity into explosion is maintained along with increasing strength. You're essentially practicing your explosion capacity. Now, I, if I am coaching a team, if I'm coaching a bunch of athletes, the power clean is not optional. I'll probably teach him to power snatch, too, just for variety. But the power clean is not optional. They have to explode. And they have to learn to explode as their strength goes up. So as their strength goes up, we're going to clean. Right? Now, if I'm coaching a 50-year-old man, is that as important to him 
as it is to the 18-year-old kids on the sports team. No. No, it's not. So the other factor in, in, terms, of, in terms of power is why do I not want to necessarily subject the 50-year-old guy to that display of power that I would were I coaching 18-year-old athletes? And the answer is, as you get older, things change in a negative direction for the display of power. All right? It, it, they change in a couple of different ways. First off, you lose the motor units that come into contraction at top-end velocities of contraction. Your fast-twitch motor units, the ones that call into contraction immediately, tend to go away with age. There's nothing you can do about that. That doesn't mean that you can't get stronger as you get old. Because we start 65-year-old people in our gyms all the time and have them go from no squat to two and a quarter for sets of five. That's normal. We do that all the time. You don't have to be explosive to do that. And the benefits of being stronger for a 65-year-old guy uh, do not require a massive increase in the display of power. But remember, if F goes up, power goes up too. Power is important. It's just that we don't need to train it explosively in older people the way we do in younger people. All right? And... The second factor is that there is a change in the composition of connective tissues as you get older. Tendons and ligaments have got elastic components in them. The proteins display a certain amount of stretch. Now, this stretch is not a function of a tendon or a ligament because tendons and ligaments are not designed to stretch. They are designed to transmit power between joints and between muscles and bones without the loss of power that would accompany a stretch. In other words, do you tow a car with a chain or a spring? Well, you tow a car with a chain because the spring loses pull in its elongation. And tendons and ligaments are not designed to stretch. But in the event of a dynamic stress, which happens when you jump, which happens when you fall, and to a certain extent, which happens when you clean, the tendons and ligaments are subjected to a certain amount of dynamic loading, and the elastic components of the tendons and ligaments keep them from rupturing, keep them from getting hurt. And as the elastic proteins age as you age the elastic proteins tend to form a smaller and smaller amount of the content of the tendon and ligament structure than it did when you were younger in other words as you get older explosive shit becomes riskier and if you're a client of mine and i want to retain you as a client i want you to be happy with me i don't want you to get hurt so i might not in fact i never would teach a 65-year-old client of mine how to clean or snatch. He doesn't need to know. 
and it might hurt him. All I want him to be is stronger. So I'm going to use the squat and the deadlift and the press and the bench press for him. But I'm not going to approach him with the power clean because he doesn't need to know how to do that. I got a lot of kids that need to learn how to power clean. And we got them in the back room in the afternoon and we're teaching them all how to do all these movements because they need to know how to do all this stuff. But old people don't need to do it. Old people don't need to practice the display of power because it's risky and we already know that they're going to display less power than they would have 40 years ago. That's not a question. We already know that. So it's, it's not necessary for us to, to, to have everybody in the gym doing power cleans. But those that are in the correct demographic need to learn how to do them. Which means that you, as a strength coach, need to learn how to coach them. Now, I understand you don't want to. I understand you don't like to do it. I understand that you'd rather do RPE. I understand that you'd rather dick around with light weights and high reps and dismiss the value of power cleans as, you know, useless to most people. Not everybody's an athlete. Not everybody needs to know how to do it. Well, that's probably true, but really... What it boils down to is you don't know how to coach the movements, <laughs> and you don't want to learn. Now that really is what it is, and you know, I've seen how many how many times have you guys looked on YouTube and watched college strength and conditioning programs massacre the power clean and the power snatch? I don't ever see them do it anymore. That's the I've never seen it done correctly. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, 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 I see trap bar, trap bar deadlifts, Bosu ball squats with ten pound dumbbells in their hands. I couldn't tell you last time I saw them take a strength training um, program seriously. Well, the, and, and when you do see power cleans and power snatches, uh, they're always done from the hang. Yeah, hang. They're always done from the hang well, instead of off the floor. You know why? Because these guys don't know how to coach well, the, they don't know how to coach the floor pull. My 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 kids that I train, you know, they, I ask them, "Are y'all doing power cleans at school?" Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, what 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 the coach? How the coach show, show you? They said, "Grab the bar and bring it to your shoulders real quick." <laughs> just just yeah, grab just, it. Just do it like that. Yeah. Just grab it and then you just right? pull and it really just, hard. It, just catch it on your shoulders. Yeah. Just pull it really you hard. Know, well, see. And that's, you know what, that's not appreciably different than you would find at the University of Texas. No, no. It, it really isn't. These yeah, people well, don't know how to coach these yeah, movements. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's embarrassing. You know, they don't care any more about their profession than to take the time it, it, it takes to learn the profession. You know, this stuff is technical. It has to, it, it merits the time spent learning it right now we're not geniuses and we've learned how to coach these movements you know you don't have to be a genius to learn how to coach the olympic lifts you know you just have to practice coaching it. but it it does help if you take the time to analyze what it is you're doing and figure out the most effective way to do it in line with your analysis of the movement, right? That That is an important aspect of this. But these people, I'm telling you, they're, they're, 
I don't know. I, I, I hate to keep saying this, but one of the the most universal observations we see of sports coaches, people who coach team sports and in the high schools and colleges and universities is that they're just not very smart. They're not they're they're of at best average intelligence. And you don't have to be a genius to do this correctly, but it does help to be able to add two plus two and come up with four on a regular basis. You know, but they're they're just not they're just not doing that. The uh, the last college level athlete that I trained, when he came in, I asked him how how much have you squatted? Three hundred sixty five pounds for a single. In three months, I had him squatting four twenty for sets of five. For sets of five, yes. And it wasn't hard. All that undeveloped potential. All of that undeveloped potential. Now, had he been trained correctly for the time previous, the much longer period of time previous to the point where you had him, mm-hmm. he, he you, know, a, you know, I mean, what could he have done? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. And, you know? you know, he went over to the college in town, and I, I, I was this close to getting him doing a five, 500 squat for five, that close. Yeah. If I would have had him another month and a half, I could have had him doing it. I think he hit 470 for five. And then he disappeared into Midwestern State University's yep. bowels and yep. never saw him again. Yep. Yeah, standard thing. Yeah. You know, but, you know, our little embarrassing school here in town is not any different than any other school, really. Standards are very low in strength and conditioning colleges. I told him I told him whenever whenever they start doing a bunch of their strength and conditioning to remember what he learned in here and analyze and say which one was more effective. Because his goal is to be a be a coach, be a mm-hmm. football coach. Right. And I say you're gonna see a stark difference between what they do there and what we did in here. And right. th- and what we did in here worked. Yeah. His his forty time went way lower even though he gained thirty five pounds. Yeah. Yeah, all the markers. Yeah. You know. His his vertical might even have gone up an inch, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Could have. And uh, I, I wish I, I would have checked his vertical. I never did. I never did. I should have started off with that. Well, that's just what happens. So anyway, uh, power. Power is what happens when strength is displayed quickly. All right. I think from our discussion today, you you can see that power is most efficiently uh, improved through the acquisition of strength. All right. Uh, one of the things that's good about the power clean and the Olympic lifts is it is incrementally loadable, just like the squat the bench press, the press, and the deadlift is. So it could be moved up in increments. Medicine balls and 20-pound dumbbells cannot. Uh, Anything that can't be incrementally improved is not training. It is a waste of time unless you are practicing the sport. If your sport is medicine balls and 20-pound dumbbells, then you go right ahead and fuck around with that. But if you are not incrementally improving the things that you are doing, then you are not training them. 
you are practicing doing something that may or may not be specific to your sport. And practice must be specific to the sport. Power is a wonderful thing to, to worry about, all right? But power is primarily, in 2021, a way to waste time in the training room. If you're in a weight room and you're fucking around with power, and it's not in the form of a power clean or a power snatch, then you're basically wasting your time in the in the in the weight room. Well, that's fine. That's what y'all want to do. As long as you yell loud enough about it, you'll sound like a strength coach, right? But think about this, okay? Power is strength displayed quickly, and without strength, there is no power. And if we improve strength, then we improve power accidentally. There's a role for the Olympic lifts. There's a role for the strength lifts. There is no role for 20-pound dumbbells and medicine balls. That is a waste of time that could be better used getting stronger. Okay? So, anybody got anything to add to that? Don't look for excuses to not get strong. This is what it comes down to for the, it, for the normal, you know, the 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 guys out there who are lifting and going to the gym and stuff. Uh, anything that you do that doesn't involve primarily sets of five and the four lifts plus maybe power cleans uh, is generally a giant waste of time. It is absolutely a giant waste of time. Yep. And this is depending on your demographic, of course. If you're 55, you're in a different situation, as I've explained. You just need to worry about getting stronger. Power will take care of itself. Power is important, even for older people. But power increases as F goes up in the power equation without you doing any power cleans. Waste of time may be the wrong term, because who are we to decide how people spend their time, right? But don't... don't, uh People need to be careful about getting uh, getting very uh, confident about what it is they're doing when they toss a medicine ball against the wall and uh, jump up on boxes with uh, 10-pound dumbbells in their hands. Yeah. 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 You know, there's, there's – uh, depending on your demographic, you are exposing yourself to the risk of injury for no productive benefit. Exactly. You know, it's uh, there have been thirty-five-year-old people rupture their Achilles tendons doing box jumps, and what do box jumps accomplish? Not one goddamn thing. They just show all the other CrossFitters that you can do a box jump. You know, it's it's it it, it is pointless. It's risky, and there's just no there's just not any benefit to it. So don't do that shit. Get your squat up. You know, you want to impress all the other CrossFitters? Get your power snatch up to 200 pounds. If you want to impress the CrossFitters, get your squat up to 300 pounds. <laughs> strongest person alive. You mean the strongest one in the box. <laughs> right? Well, these are just my thoughts. I just jerked out of my ass today on power. I thought maybe it would be prudent to discuss them in this format. And, uh, you know... Those of you that have questions, write them down. Next time we have a live call-in Q&A, we'll 
put you at the head of the line if you want to talk about power in this kind of in this context our little discussion today is probably going to prompt some questions and you write them down and we'll have another call in q a here three or four weeks and call us let us know your thoughts on this and uh uh until then uh, you guys keep the basics in mind we're not we're not playing games here we don't have time to play games we here in the commercial gym business you know we have we work in in short periods of time three days a week and things that aren't productive we don't have time for and all of this rate of force development training is not productive and we don't have time for it and really you don't either it's time that you could be spending either recovering from your strength training or actually doing productive strength training concentrate on that thanks for watching we'll see you next friday